Hey everybody, welcome back to the serverless show. With me today as usual is Tom Lamed, our director of security research here at Portigo. And today we have a very special guest on the show with us, uh, Ben Kehoe of iRobot. Uh, Ben's the uh, AWS serverless hero at iRobot. And uh, essentially my view of it is that when the robots take over the world, Ben will be controlling their serverless controllers and will be the overlord. So I'm going to be nice to him as much as possible because I know where this is headed. Uh, ben, can you just introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, so I'm Ben Kehoe. I'm a cloud robotics research scientist at iRobot and an AWS serverless hero. Fantastic. Okay, so a couple, lots of topics to talk about today. The first one I wanted to talk about was actually you know, just leverage the fact that we have you on the show, Ben, and talk about serverless at iRobot. And, and really what I wanted to ask you was uh, if you could describe for us kind of some of the key reasons in decision-making about adopting serverless as a core technology in iRobot, what are some of the pros and cons you guys are experiencing with the technology, and kind of what's your experience on the journey and, and you know, any, any, any sort of feedback or, or, or kind of wisdom you could you know, share with the world on that? Yeah, so long story short, um, iRobot, we make the Roomba, and you know we've we've been making the Roomba since 2002, and in 2015 we launched our first connected Roomba, and so we had a business that was at scale making devices, and so we had to uh, have a cloud application for connected devices that would easily scale up to our to our business scale, um, and keep the risk of of that as low as possible. And serverless enabled us to essentially leapfrog the scalable cloud uh, technology learning that we would have needed if we went with a traditional architecture. So instead, we're using fully managed services from AWS that allow us to focus on providing features to our customers rather than uh, focusing on the scalability of, of the technologies that we're using. And we that's being handled all by the service provider. Fantastic. What are some of the kind of, you know, key pros and cons that you guys are experiencing? Other than the obvious, uh, you know, we'll talk about cost savings later and we'll talk about, you know, some of the scalability, but are there particular experiences around the you know, architecture, software development processes, things that have changed there that are, that are important? Yeah, I mean, it's kept us extremely lean in, in uh, our cloud teams for both development and operations because uh, we're essentially primarily you know, writing business logic um, rather than having to solve technology problems before we can get to our business problems. And uh, so that's given us faster time to market, um, more agile teams. And it's come, you know, the, the challenge is that we've been, you know, doing serverless and so it's very nascent. And so uh, we're very familiar with all of the rough edges that haven't weren't solved and have been solved in the past couple of years and all the ones that are still not solved. Um, and we've found that despite, despite the challenges inherent in going all in on serverless, it's, it's completely worth it. Okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about some of the headlines uh, this week. Uh, the, the first set of headlines I wanted to talk about were um, you know, the past couple of weeks, but were first of all, Azure Functions 2.0 GA, uh, also an announcement from SAP, from SAP, about their cloud platform functions. So there, there, there's obviously uh, a bunch of other companies aside from AWS that made early steps into this space that are graduating into uh, you know, fully available products you know, in the space, and some of them are adding new beta products as well. Um, how relevant are some of these other cloud providers been to, to, well, to, to iRobot specifically, but maybe more generally to kind of, you know, some of the early adopters who have gone all in, how relevant are some of these other providers? Do they solve a need that is missing? Is there a reason why some of the big companies that are already working with things like Lambda and Dynamo and API Gateway 
and, and AWS IoT are going to either you know move over or augment what they're doing with some of the other cloud platforms? I think, uh, I mean, for, for iRobot, we are heavy users of AWS and, and very advanced users of AWS. And so we don't have a lot of uh, reason to use, you know, sort of basic building blocks from other providers, like functions, like a NoSQL database from a different provider other than, other than AWS. Um, for advanced, you know, very high level and very specialized services, I think that can sometimes be more compelling. But I think uh, in general, especially with more enterprise-oriented companies like SAP providing functions as a service offerings that can integrate with their platforms, there are a lot of companies that are out there using SAP for one thing or another. And the ability to expand on that or to script capabilities that, that customers are interested in, in achieving, you enable those customers to accomplish that with, with a minimum of fuss in a sort of self-service way. And so I think that can be really powerful for those, uh, for those users of, of those technologies. And then for all the, all the big providers, it's in their interest for, you know, their companies that are moving into the cloud and selecting providers for a whole host of things. And so at that point, it is, it is useful to compete with AWS on that front. They're just, they're only worse so maybe, off if they don't have a, if they don't have sort of serverless offerings. Makes sense. So maybe I would, I would break this down and say, uh, there's, you know, some of the, some of the AWS, you know, direct competitors, you know, Azure and, and, and Google kind of, you know, take the steps to make sure they have offerings for, for their customers and they can move people in using their technologies. But you're also pointing out that some of these other platforms like SAP, which are, you know, maybe have a, a more specialized purpose for their customers are also figuring out how functions are an important part of what they do for their customers and how people want to sort of evolve the way they, they write uh, workloads, even on top of these more specialized cloud platforms, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's probably possible to use Lambda against an SAP API, but it's going to be much more complicated for the, the average business to do that than to write something inside the SAP ecosystem. Yeah, I saw their video how they integrate with their own uh, platform event, so it's going to be good for their customers. Also, it shows that we're in the, in the right direction. Uh, all the big companies knows what's the, the next technology. And, and, and Tal, if, we, if we're already talking about that, in those announcements, particularly in the, in the Azure announcement, was there anything about security? Was there anything new there, or is this really kind of business as usual when it comes to security with Azure? Uh, actually, I haven't seen any major uh, changes in the Azure uh, 2.0. Uh, definitely, we're going to hear about SAP security uh, for their uh, functions. Now that it's out, we're probably going to hear about it soon. Different people are uh, going to investigate that as well as we do. And yeah, let's see what they, can come up, what they came up with. Okay, so let's switch gears and talk a little bit about cost savings, my favorite topic to not talk about. A, a couple of headlines I saw uh, recently, uh, one from a company, a startup company called Cloud Forecast, which is doing some, some really cool work about how they as a startup leveraged you know, using Lambda to save a lot of money um, you know, from for a startup, uh, you know, perspective. Um, at, that, at the same time, there was an article from IBM that talked more about you know, kind of cost savings at larger enterprises using the cloud and using using you know functions rather than you know containers or, or VMs. Uh, so, so first question to you, Ben: um, How how big of a factor is cost savings to a company like iRobot in making a decision about serverless? Is, is it a factor at all? If it's a factor, how is it a factor? What does it mean to you guys? Well, it's it's. Cost is definitely a, a very important factor in our cloud solutions because our current cloud functionality doesn't require a subscription. 
And so when you, when you buy a Roomba, right, you pay us once for it, and then we pay the cloud cost for the lifetime of the device, which means, right, that uh, I like to joke that the better the mechanical and electrical engineers do their jobs and the longer the robot lasts, the more you know, the cloud folks cost the company. Uh, <laughs> and um, so we're definitely very sensitive to that. Um, at the same time, we look at sort of the total cost of ownership for the cloud. So it's not just what is our AWS bill in a given month. We look at, you know, how many operations FTE does it require? Um, how much maintenance is it? You know, all of those factors to, to figure out the true cost um, rather than just looking at one number. Because there are ways in which, you know, our Lambda is more expensive per compute cycle than... Uh, than EC2, but if it requires, you know, three times the amount of people on operations, that cost has to be figured in. Yeah, yeah, and I think we've we've seen a lot of companies who, who you know, maybe even got in initially uh, thinking, okay, I can save some compute bill, but really found uh, that the big savings were in the operations people, the big savings were the velocity they could achieve, you know, they could move faster, do more with less, you know, development uh, resources, and also have fewer operations people. So I, I, I agree that you have to definitely look at the, the, the the TCO and not you know just the cost savings of compute and there are probably plenty of use cases where your cloud bill might go up but you're still better off making that move. Yeah, it definitely depends on you know if you if you have a legacy system how good you are at ut utilization and if you're really really good at it, um, your cost may go up when you switch to serverless. Most people aren't that good at it and it doesn't actually it's not really in your interest to get good at it. You should just switch to serverless and make being good at utilization somebody else's problem. Right. And Tyler, if we talk about some of the other reasons people use serverless, let's go back maybe to security since you're the security guy. Uh, what are some of the security advantages people are, are reaping when they move to serverless? What are, what are some of the reasons people move for, you know, either move to serverless for security or find when they move that they, they got some, something out of it for security? Yeah, actually, security is also something that you should calculate the cost for. So, um, uh, look at it that way. Uh, if you can just, as Ben said, you can just write up business logic and don't deal with all the, the security around it. So um, operation systems and patches and updates and, and security controls, uh, then you save a lot of money also on that. And you can uh, put your money into writing a cool, uh, a very uh, cool application um, deal with the security, pay less for, for security. And also for security operations, I think uh, there is a change in terms of if before what we knew, uh, before serverless and cloud, the security people just had their niche of taking care of all the security for the environment. Here for serverless, it's more co-driven. So there, there are things that you should uh, take care of when you move to security. So definitely going to uh, consider that. And in terms of what are the advantages in security? Well, apart from what I said, security is uh, microservices, if we call it that, allows you to actually get uh, the understanding of what each code or each function should do and or each resources task in the, in the whole ecosystem and then build your defenses around it. So if you know that it's very, it's much easier to understand if a different a specific function has to do just write to a certain table or just download from a certain uh, storage, you can 
literally lit, uh, limit that both in permissions and in your code only to that. So that can really refine your, uh, your security in serverless. I think I finally clicked to me today when I was talking to somebody that um, I don't think in the past I perceived IAM as an AppSec tool. You know, IAM is a, it was, a, it was a cloud security infrastructure that you could use to, to sort of, you know, you know, mitigate kind of, you know, what, what roles could do and not have everybody be able to do everything. But uh, I, I never considered it an AppSec tool. I, you know, if, if I was worried about, you know, somebody getting my application to do, some, do the wrong thing, I wouldn't have turned to IAM to, to try to prevent that. I would, you know, I've looked at, you know, things like, uh, you know, WAFs and RASPs and, 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 you know, code scanning tools and things like that. And I think what we're seeing today with serverless is because of the fine-grained nature, you really can start viewing... IAM as another tool in your arsenal for AppSec, and you can, you know, that, that shrink wrap permission and configuration really lets you, you know, drive that. So, so that's, I think that's a pretty cool uh, advantage that we're seeing, you know, and I think it's driving some organizations to really go all in on serverless as well. Yeah, I, think, I also, I just, um, uh, okay. I, I, I just been to a serverless, uh, important serverless uh, PDX conference, and I've seen, I met some, uh, some guys who were starting uh, startups, and they went, uh, all in from the beginning with serverless and uh, yeah there are some aspects that ne you need to to take care of also regarding security but I, I've seen uh, people also for from uh, security startups I mean companies like us don't do security for serverless but do other security uh, solutions and they're building uh, in serverless so people believe in that in the security in uh, of serverless, and hello. You cool. mentioned uh, you mentioned IAM permissions, and AWS released uh, a very important update to IAM related that that uh, covers this topic, which is called permission boundaries. So previously, when you gave a developer permissions to create a lambda that involved creating IAM rules and policies associated with them, there's no way to restrict the policies that they could create. And therefore, you essentially gave them sort of pseudo permissions inside the AWS account where they're developing that Lambda, which was a, which was a big problem. You couldn't really uh, restrict what they could do with that Lambda. And with permission boundaries, you're able to put limits on what they can, sort of what IAM permissions they can give uh, to things that they create. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It's a, it's a great feature. As a matter of fact, um, you know, one of the early on when we started Portigo, and I don't want to talk too much about us, but early on when we started Portigo, uh, one of the features of the product was this ability to not just detect where your IAM configurations were, uh, you know, suboptimal and tell you, hey, here's the policy statement, go put it in the right place and it'll, you'll, you'll be optimal. But we actually had this, you know, flow where you could click on a button and we would go manage all those permissions for you. But the big challenge was, you know, you kind of had to give us all or nothing on IAM management, which was this huge, you know, ask. You really had to put a lot of trust in a, a small startup. Uh, whereas permission boundaries are now letting us, uh, you know, reconsider, you know, re redeploy that feature in a way where we can scope down much more carefully, hey, what can we manage? So, you know, we can enable a situation where we are able to, on your account, manage a set of roles that we create and assign them to functions, but we have no ability to touch any of the other roles, you know, in your account or suddenly give some user, you know, crazy permissions they're not supposed to have or things like that. And we, you can also use permission boundaries to scope down what we can give to a function. So you can say, okay, how do I make sure that Pratigo can manage all these roles for me? But there's no accidental way where they, you know, give some permissions I really don't want out there to my function. So that's been a, it's been a really great feature for us. So let me shift gears though, because Tal, you mentioned uh, uh, serverless uh, PDX. Um, and let's talk a little bit about some of the re recent conferences. So Tal, I think you, you spoke at, at PDX, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. So 
yeah, last week I was, or was it two weeks ago, something like that, I was at the serverless PDX uh, conference. I gave a talk about serverless security, of course. People, uh, it was very nice. I mean, to see so much, so many people interested in that, in the new technology, and all the talks were great, uh, covering a variety of aspects, how you integrate integrate that in the company, and how you do more visual. Uh, visualization in, in your accounts, and, and other great talks. Uh, I think the security was a good finale because I was last, so it was a good finale for the, for the <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. So I, I was recently at uh, OWASP uh, AppSec conference in Israel, which is not a serverless conference, uh, and I spoke about serverless security, but I was really happy to see that I was not the only one talking about serverless. So I think that's a good indication that people, uh, you know, who are in the application development space or the AppSec space and, you know, looking for, for solutions are interested in serverless, which means, you know, we, we see serverless sort of creeping into uh, the mindset of a lot of organizations. That's really cool. Um, and, and let's talk about upcoming speaking, speaking engagements. So, so Ben, you're speaking sometime soon, right? October 30th, I'm speaking at the Serverless NYC, um, which is one of the serverless days conferences. And then I'll be at reInvent. That looks like the next one after that. Well, tomorrow I'm heading to Rochester, New York. Uh, and the security summit there, and they have uh, a big conference, they have multiple tracks, and we're gonna be on the OWASP security uh, track, giving a talk about serverless security, and uh, uh, OWASP Top 10, which is a new project, which um, recently, we launched recently, uh, if you go, if you search for OWASP serverless top 10, you you uh, reach that, uh, it's basically it's a project that tries to get information from the wild, from companies, uh, from the industry about what are the ten most <coughs> critical security issues in serverless and how to mitigate them. And we just also yeah. uh, launched the first uh, first post talking about the first event, the first uh, event of the of the top ten. Yeah, it was a great blog post, Talakuda. Not, 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 not to tout people from my own company, but it was, it was a good, really good detailed blog post. So we'll put a link to it, and people should definitely go to have a look at it. Okay. Uh, now for my favorite part of the, the show that we do, uh, our favorite uh, tweets of the week. Um, I'll, I'll start first. Uh, I liked uh, you know, Paul Johnson's uh, tweet, uh, which was, thought, the only reason that Kubernetes seems to have more traction than serverless is that it's harder, so there's more money to be made for consultants. So I'm always good for a little snarky, funny... Uh, uh, you know, dig at uh, containers and Kubernetes, um, but uh, you know, maybe may also highlighting an issue. Uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's hyperbole. Um, I think that there, there is a lot of snark in the serverless community about Kubernetes, and I am, I am definitely guilty of that. But I think when you, uh, when we're serious and we're and we're talking thoughtfully, the same people who do snark about it will will tell you that um, there is a place for Kubernetes. And it's for it's for people who are you know building technology as a product that the people you know using technology to deliver some other features to their clients that aren't fundamentally in the technology business um, are going to want to be serverless in the long term, and that that running Kubernetes is not generally going to be of value to them. Uh, but somewhere down in the stack, someone's going to be managing servers, and they are, they are probably going to be using Kubernetes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Still fun to laugh at them. Uh, so, Ben, what was your favorite tweet for the week? Well, I also liked uh, Paul Johnston tweet, which is where you know he said serverless thinking is using a service 
whenever possible because services are almost always cheaper than people. And this goes to uh, the notion, well, a couple of things, which is one, always keeping your eye on the total cost of ownership and, and not getting distracted by, you know, subcomponents cost of, of, you know, one thing versus the other. And the fact that people in general uh, undervalue their own time. So they often look at, oh, well, if I, if I do this, I can create something that costs less, but they don't consider how much of their time is being spent and the opportunity cost of that when they could be creating business value instead of working on a technology problem. And that fundamentally, the, the, the freeing up time and resources to focus on your business problems is really what serverless is all about rather than any particular technology or, or architecture. I wait with uh, John Domain, who just, uh, just a funny one showing uh, first look about uh, inside the AWS Lambda data center, basically showing the huge empty space. So. Uh, is this going to queue up another uh, war about there really are servers, where are the servers? Uh, well, you know, well, it's ironic, right? because, because Lambda, Lambda runs you know, a giant fleet of servers. That's, yeah. uh, and, and I am thankful that they do, because it means that I don't have to. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really their customers' data centers. Yeah, right? it's their customers' data centers. Fantastic. All right. Well, Ben, it's been great to have you. Uh, always fun talking to you, uh, not just because you're a hero, but also because you have uh, quite a bit of insight and uh, you're, you're just a little further down the road than most people at using these technologies and understanding them. So it's, it's nice to see everybody's future. Uh, so well, thanks, thanks for, for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.